You may have never heard of Edith Head, but you most certainly have seen her creations. Audrey Hepburn, Grace Kelly, Liz Taylor, Ingrid Bergman, Sophia Loren, Rita Hayworth, Kim Novak, Betty Davis, Joan Fontaine and Olivia de Havilland were just some of the stars who got to wear her dresses. Edith Head earned 35 Oscar nominations and won eight, and as such is the most honoured woman in the history of the Academy. When asked what made her different from all the rest, and we must remember that Edith Head worked throughout the golden age of Hollywood, where glamour was the first, middle and last demand of any designer, she replied she wasn't different, she was just the best. The diva of design, she was small, wore her hair in a black bob and had large round glasses with blue tints. The blue helped her see what the clothes would look like in black and white. And if her appearance sounds familiar... Yes, things are going quite well, quite well, my God, no complaints. But, you know, it, it is uh, not the same, not the same at all. Weren't you just in the news, some show in Prague, Prague? Milan, darling, Milan. Super ones. Ha! Nothing super about them, spoiled, stupid little stick figures with poofy lips who think only about themselves. With over 400 films to her CV, Edith Head's most enduring work has to have been in To Catch a Thief. For once, it's not Hitchcock's suspense that made people gasp, but rather Grace Kelly's outfits. There's the ice blue chiffon gown she wore when she met Cary Grant for the first time. Then when she went to the beach, she had the rolled up black capri pants, black halter neck top, white drawstring skirt and wedge sole sandals. And then later for the picnic, she wore a coral pink top and scarf, pleated skirt and ouch white driving gloves. The first time I saw you was on the beach at Cannes. You swam ashore from a motorboat driven by that little French girl. Mm, you've got an opener? Mm. Thank you. You want a leg or a breast? You make the choice. It was just two days before you showed up at the hotel as Mr. Comrade Burns. Uh -huh. Just over from America. Did you swim? All very easy on the eye and according to those movie stars even easier to wear. That is if you could afford them. But of all the costumes Edith had designed, the one she said that had the most immediate impact was the white party dress Liz Taylor wore in A Place in the Sun. Now, amazingly, the movie was shot in 1949, but its release was delayed until 1951. And yet, Edith Head was able to anticipate the fashion two years hence. You see, in the meantime, the silhouette had been altered by Christian Dior. But Head was still right on the money, and shortly after the film opened, she attended a reception where she saw more than 30 women wearing copies of her creation. And it was her princess profile with a daisy-covered bodice that dominated the decade. Now, we know that in real life, the clothes we choose to wear are not merely functional. We wear them to further express who we are. But while the primary purpose of costume in film is to define the character, its greater objective is to complement the movie star. So even when a movie star is supposed to look bad, the costume designer makes sure they look good. But sometimes it's what the character doesn't wear that is just as important. There's a famous scene in the 1935 movie It Happened One Night in which Clark Gable scandalizes Claudette Colbert by taking his clothes off right in front of her. No, I have a method all my own. Uh, if you'll notice, the coat came first, then the tie, then the shirt. Now, uh, according to Hoyle, after that, the uh, pants should be next. Here's where I'm different. I go for the shoes next. First the right, then the left. After that, it's uh, every man for himself. The thing was that when Gable went to remove his vest, it snagged on his watch. Take after take, it snagged. So he decided to get rid of not the watch, but the vest. So he takes off his shirt to reveal his bare chest. It's quite funny because it subverts the cinematic striptease. But it wasn't so funny for men's department stores. Sales and vests plummeted. 
mind you, the sale of T-shirts rocketed when Marlon Brando sauntered around all sweaty and broody in A Streetcar Named Desire. Man, look, it goes fast in the hot weather. You want a shot? No, I, I rarely touch it. Well, there's some people that rarely touch it, but it touches them often. Oh. I... Hey, you mind if I make myself comfortable? My oh. shirt is sticking. Please, please do. Be comfortable. That's my motto, where I come from. It's mine, too. It's hard to stay looking fresh in hot weather where, where I haven't washed or even powdered. Here you are. The 60s was dominated by the miniskirt. That was until one film single-handedly reversed the direction and lowered the hemline. Bonnie and Clyde was set in the 1930s and designer Theodore von Runkel ushered in a retro chic by putting Faye Dunaway in A-lines, loose cardigans and berets and Warren Beatty in double-breasted suits. The midi look hit fashion magazines hard and the style lasted well into the 70s. You listen to me, Miss Bonnie Parker. You listen to me. Now, how would you like to go walking in the dining room of the Dolphus Hotel in Dallas wearing a nice silk dress and have everybody waiting on you? Do you like that? Does that seem like a lot to ask? That ain't enough for you. You got a right to that. Then in 1977 came Woody Allen's Annie Hall. What is noticeable here is not just Diane Keaton's khaki billowy trousers, white shirt and tie with an oversized waistcoat. No, the interesting thing is that the clothes were all owned by Diane Keaton. They came straight from her wardrobe and so perfectly reflect Annie's very, shall we say, singular personality. Well, oh, oh, God, Annie. Well, oh, well. <laughs> la-di-da, la-di-da, la-la, yeah. So the unique thing here is that Annie's look is one of the earliest examples of a star style being affordable to the viewer. And as if that weren't enough, Ralph Lauren made a very big deal out of Keaton having worn a tie that he himself had designed. So much so that although the film's costume designer was Ruth Morley, Ralph Lauren got a separate screen credit for Keaton's costume. Now, sometimes cinema takes something that is already happening in the margins and brings it mainstream. For instance, the 1983 film Flashdance helped take leg warmers and cut off off-the-shoulder sweatshirts out of the dance academies and made them the street look of the 80s. Again, all very affordable. But at the same time, if you went uptown, you could see the post-colonial look that was inspired by Melina Cananero's Oscar-nominated costumes for Out of Africa. He even took the gramophone on safari. Three rifles, supplies for a month, and Mozart. He began our friendship with a gift. And later, not long before Savo, he gave me another, an incredible gift. A glimpse of the world through God's eye. With its cool cottons and light beige and creams, it was like everyone was out hunting, especially when you had, yes, Ralph Lauren offering you the chance to dress as if you had just shot an elephant. Which might lead you to think that the most successful collaboration between fashion and film would be when a designer is the director as was the case with A Single Man by Tom Ford. Well, he didn't do the costumes. Ariana Phillips did. Which begs the question, when it comes to fashion and film, where does that leave you? Well, since the days of Edith Head, cinema hasn't influenced fashion as much as television has, or indeed pop music. But so long as someone else is paying, who cares? I'm sorry. I was in here yesterday. You wouldn't wait on me? Oh. You work on commission, right? Uh, yes. 
Big mistake. Big. Huge. I have to go shopping now.